0: program. It's a white and blue card and encourage you to fill that out. On the back there are some areas where you can request information or uh, leave us a prayer request or a, a praise report and, uh, and we would love to be able to commit those things in prayer. And if you're a guest here with us this morning, feel free to just fill out some information that we might be able to welcome you to the church and, uh, and just let you know that we are glad that you are here with us so after the service, feel free to just leave that connection card on the pew, and we will come around and pick those up. In way of announcements, just a few things I might highlight. We have the College Young Adult uh, group today, and then in two weeks, there is a College Young Adult retreat, and uh, February 24th through 26th, so that's a Friday through a Sunday, and uh, Stephen is the main contact person on that, so uh, if you are, what like more information, but let's uh, but that is, honestly, that's a great time. I was thinking about, you know, you get three, basically two and a half days together, and uh, you're going to get more time with people on a retreat than probably you could add up all the other Bible studies and events that we do throughout the year at it all. it's probably equals to this to what you get in one, ret- one weekend retreat, so it's a great time. One more thing I would like, well, actually two more things I want to draw attention to. At the bottom it says worship ministry seeking new members. And so if you're interested in applying and being on the worship team, please talk to Tina and, uh, and uh, she, she'll give you the instructions on how to do that. In fact, the application is online. If you go to the church website, you can fill out an application and Tina will get in touch with you that way as well. So um, make note of that. And then lastly, I wanted to draw attention to this group It says Parents of Preschoolers, or we're calling this group POPs. Parents of Preschoolers. It's kind of modeled after a MOPs group. If any of you know what MOPs is, Mothers of Preschoolers. But this is coming about because a couple of weeks ago we lined up, we have all these little babies in the church now. And I went through kind of this baby dedication with all the uh, parents. And we got done with that and they said, you know what, we need to have our own group. Because this is a difficult stage in life, you know, having uh, preschoolers at home, and so we're going to meet third Sunday of every month, and, uh, and so this is open to any parents that have kids, preschool or, or younger, and we'll have child care, and we'll have, uh, and I might be bugging you sometime if you're older than that to come in and, and help me lead in terms of giving a testimony as, as like a mentor parent. But I do need some help on this because we're providing child care and because we, we if you're interested being a helper, you're older than having kids in preschool, but you'd like to help us out. Please come talk to me because it's a brand new group. I'm trying to put together all of these little lo- logistical things now, and uh, and we're going to meet for the first time next week. So I'd love to have your help on all of this. I have a picture I want uh, Andrew to put up here. You'll recognize you. Everybody has an emotion when they see a picture like that, you know? You've been, in, you've been stuck in traffic and you're wondering, what, there has to be an accident or there can't be this many people all on the road at the same time. Chelsea and I, a couple months ago, we were driving down to her parents and you know how the police starts to do this swerve and stop all of traffic. We sat there for two hours They landed three helicopters on the freeway. It was a bad accident. Uh, But you've you've had that feeling in one way or another. And I sit in traffic like this. I'm not a traffic person. My parents are here. I grew up on a farm in Iowa. You drive five miles and maybe meet one car. So I look around, and i where are all these people coming from? Where are they all going? And I think there are way, I live with way too many people there should not be this many people around us right now. And maybe you have that feeling once in a while, too. You're in a store, and you realize there are a lot of people here. And one of those lines that snakes around like Disneyland, you know. In fact, I looked up in, uh, online. This is the closest figure I could get. You are not one in a million. You are one in four hundred and uh, eighty-three million. 813,800 people in this world. One in 7.5 billion people. And you wonder, what kind of, what kind of life am I living here? Where is my, you, you think about being one in 7.5 billion people, and you wonder, is my life really going to count for anything? Once a week, every Tuesday morning, I run, there's a mountain trail near my house. And I, uh, uh, this, is the, this is my workout on Tuesdays. I run to the top of this mountain, and it wears me out. I'm completely out of breath, and I'm like hunched over for a long time. And then eventually, I get my breath, and I look out, and you can see the whole city. On a clear day, and this is a picture from this week, so it's not a clear day. But on a clear day, you can see the city skyline in LA. And you just, houses after houses, and, you, and I, sometimes I just sit there, and I, I think, wow, I live so m- among so many people. I just, It's an awe-inspiring moment. I pray that, God, I'd be able to make a difference among those that we live with. And I think all of us have a desire for our life to count for something. You know, deep down inside, we want our lives, to in the midst of all of these people, we want our lives to matter, right? We want there to be purpose and meaning. And sometimes we wonder, with all that is going on, how will my life count? How will my life actually have significance? So in light of those questions, I want us to uh, turn to our passage this morning. We're going to wrestle with these things from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. Uh, As a church, we're going through a sermon series on Ephesians. And so these are the verses that we are at now. Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 6 through 10. And it says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's pray. Father God, as we look at this passage of Scripture now together, I pray that you would speak to us and that you would help us to really be able to grasp the word that you have for us today. And so I pray that your, by your spirit you would come now and be our teacher and help us apply these truths to our lives, that we really would be able to live significant and meaningful lives. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The verse I want to key in on, first of all, it's actually I just want to key in on one word. It's a, it's a word from verse 10 here. It says, for we are God's handiwork, or some translations will say we are God's workmanship. The word that is uh, that we are translating there is a Greek word, uh, which is poema. Poema. Uh, we get our English word poem. You can hear it. A poem is uh, is a creative way of using language to express our feelings. There's kind of an artistic nature to a poem. And the Greek word "poema" uh, means a creative work of art. Now that's a, that's, a, uh, that's a beautiful thought to think this, verse 10, we are God's creative works of art. I like the way the New Living Translation says it. It says, we are God's masterpiece. Now isn't that a wonderful word? We are God's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece masterpiece. A masterpiece is not just some or uh, you think about a masterpiece in art. It's not just some ordinary painting or work of art. A masterpiece is the type of thing they hang in museums so that thousands of people can come and look at it and generations can look at this painting and and see what the artist has created. And it says that we are God's masterpieces, that we are created to stand out to live uh, in such a way that others would admire our lives Chelsea and I are parents of two young kids Uh, we have Dawson who's six and Kinsey who's two and uh, and like most parents we like to hang up their artwork we're probably more so than most parents we got artwork hanging off all over the house I went on a retreat a couple weeks ago and this is the sign that was hanging on the door: "Welcome home, Daddy." That's Dawson and Daddy. Oh, isn't that a is that a masterpiece or what? No, I that, I, I know that I love the painting, but I know full well that's never hanging in a in a museum. Okay, let's just be honest. Uh, most art is never hanging in a museum. There's Kinsey's. All right, that's two years old. Now that's, that's a lot of talent in that picture for two years old but it's probably not making a museum. A masterpiece is something that really stands out. We're talking about having a masterpiece type life today. A significant life that stands out. So what might that life look like? Well, I was I was thinking let's just let's just brainstorm together. What would be a masterpiece type life? The first, uh, thir- first thing that comes to my mind is a person that was, would make a real significant like scientific discovery is a masterpiece type life. I recently read an article and it had the top 10 medical uh, dis- scientific discoveries of 2016. And three of the top 10 had to deal with curing cancer. There is a lot of money and energy. Science is doing a lot of efforts towards, uh, to cure cancer. And I doubt there's anyone in this room that has not been affected in one way or another by cancer. My dad just went through radiation for prostate cancer. And wouldn't it be a wonderful life if you were able to cure cancer? I mean, that surely is a masterpiece type life. So maybe it's a maybe a masterpiece life is making this kind of scientific discovery. Second thing that comes to mind is maybe it is having like a position of power and influence. I've been reading online every day just as the as these president's uh, cabinet picks have been going before the Senate for confirmation hearings and I look at their responsibilities and I think Wow, if you could have this kind of position, if they were to use it wisely, it could have a huge impact on so many people. And so maybe it is having a position of power and influence. And then I think the last one, I think, is how a lot of times we think about having a really a masterpiece type life is having wealth accumulation. That's a lot of times how we think about if our life is really going to go well not only just so we could serve selfish needs, but if you had a lot of money, you could do a lot of good, right? Bill Gates is one of the, most, one of the richest people on the face of this earth, and he and his wife have set up a, a foundation, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And they have some outrageous goals that they're seeking uh, to accomplish. I have a short little video from their website. We choose the areas where more is needed where we can bring change, where we can make a life better, and in doing so, make many lives better. We are deliberate, we are committed, and we are focused on outcomes. Kind of pumps you up just watching that little 20-second video, huh? To make a real difference. Some of their goals in the Gates, uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, are to cut world poverty in half to provide immunization shots for children of, of whole uh, countries, developing nations, to change the education system in large cities. And I think if, you, if we were able to do that type of thing, that would be a masterpiece type life. So I lay out this list and I look at it and I think, boy, uh, I'm in deep trouble here. Because science was my, always my worst subject in high school. I'm never going to make a real uh, major scientific discovery. And uh, I don't know anyone that, li- that has any position of real- in the government that has a lot of power that they're about to appoint me to their cabinet. And the day I became a preacher, I threw wealth uh, accumulation out the window. <laughs> Unless you guys want to change my salary which I can cut this sermon very short, and Bob, we can come up. But uh, he's shaking his head no. So in other words, this list is a very frustrating list because I know this is not my uh, path to living a masterpiece-type life. It almost makes you want to throw your hands up in frustration and say, well, maybe I'm doomed. Maybe I am just one out of 7.5 billion, and I'll pass, and all will be And all will carry on, and it doesn't really matter. I'm reminded of the verses from Romans chapter 9. It says, But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? So I read this verse and I think, well, maybe I'm just in the common use category. But to be called a masterpiece doesn't sound like common use language. And so what does it mean that we are God's masterpieces? Well, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 2. Because verse 10 is actually a climax verse that has some things that come before it. And you'll have to make some notes. Uh, you'll have to make some adjustments on your handout if you're following the handout. For some reason the formatting got screwed up, so hopefully you'll be able to figure it out. But these two lists that I have here are meant to compare one another, and so uh, adjust as needed. The first thing I want to point out is found here in Romans two six. It says, "For he has raised us from the dead, along with Christ Jesus." First thing we see in this passage is that our lives, that we are, if we are believers in Jesus, that we are raised from the dead. Now, I set that against scientific discovery. If you were to make a huge medical discovery, you might be able to extend someone's life by a few years. But the reality is eventually they are going to die. Science is, is, a compl- is com- conclusive on this, that every one of us is going to die and yet the verse says and we'll talk about what this means but first of all let's just take this at face value our lives are meant to defy science that we are raised from the dead and then Paul goes on to say in the latter part of verse 6 it says we we are uh, and he has seated us with him in the heavenly realms So the second thing we might say is that we are seated with Christ on a throne. After Christ was raised from the dead, he ascended into heaven, the Bible tells us, and he sat down at the right hand of the Father and took a position of authority to reign over this world. And here it says that we are seated next to Christ in the heavenly realms. In other words, we've been given this position of authority. Now compare that to sitting on the president's cabinet or some other position of power and influence we sit next to god the father the creator of all of the universe now we're beginning to get a picture of what a real significant life is and then moving on to verse 7 it says that we are rich in god's favor and kindness so god can point to us in all future uh, future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us. So it's one thing to accumulate wealth here on this earth. It is another thing to be rich in God's kindness and favor. And this is the type of life that it says that we uh, have been given, that we have been uh, called to receive. Now all of now obviously if you look at this second list, there is a spiritual aspect to it. What does all of this mean? Because none of us have been literally, physically raised from the dead, and obviously we're not sitting in the, uh, in the throne room of heaven above right now. So what does all of this mean for us, practically speaking, in this day and age? Well, it might be summarized simply by four words, repeated four words in verses 6 and 7, and that is, united with Christ Jesus. A significant life is a life lived, united with Christ Jesus. You see, that's what I think all of this is talking about. That when we place our faith in Jesus, we are united with him. Jesus is the one who rose from the dead. And when we place our faith in him, in some way, our lives have been raised from the dead as well. Jesus is the one who has ascended in heaven but when we are united with him in some, in some spiritual way, we sit with him in heaven above. Jesus is the one who has been rich in God's kindness and favor, to whom uh, God the Father said, this is my son uh, with whom I am well pleased. And when we are united with him, he looks upon us and he pours out his kindness and favor on us as well. And so we think about all of this. What does it mean to live a life that is united with Christ Jesus? It means that our lives are centered on Christ and that we do the work of Christ. In fact, part of what it means to be seated in the heavenly realms with Christ is it means that we have authority to do the work of God in the world around us. We have authority to tell others about God's forgiveness to proclaim his love, to do God's work of justice and mercy all around us. We have been united with Christ to do the work of Christ in the world around us. And when we do, then we begin to see the evidence uh, pour forth from our lives of actual, real, significant difference in the world around us. Here recently, I sat in a room with uh, a brother of mine, a brother in Christ of mine from the church, and he felt compelled to just share some some difficult things in his life uh, with some of his friends. And so we gathered in a room, and uh, he, with tears in his eyes, began to share just about something that he had done that uh, that he felt he needed to confess and it was a beautiful it was a beautiful picture for me to just kind of sit back and watch for a moment because without having to tell anyone what to do someone got up and just went and laid their hand on him and then I think there was four or five of us there just everyone just spontaneously got and around and just kind of wrapped their arms around us and without anything being said for a while it was just a it was just a a, a bear hug a, just a group hug for a moment and then again without any instruction someone began to pray for him and then in the midst of this prayer and in the midst of this this group hug together he just started to weep there was so much emotion And I couldn't help but ask him. I saw him a couple days later and I said, what did that feel like in that moment? I could tell there was a lot going on within you. What did that feel like? And the first word that came out of his mouth was grace. I felt God's grace. Now I look at this brother that I loved uh, so dearly and as he shared these things, I can guarantee you his life has been changed forever. And it's not just uh, while he's on this earth. His life has been changed for all eternity. And why? Because there were brothers and sisters that were willing to rally around him during that time and to tell him that God loves, uh, that God loves him. And that God has a plan for his life and that God, and that God cares about him. You see, the, we are called, when we are doing the work of Christ, we are called to do the work of Christ in Jesus' name and we come alongside of one another. And these are the type of acts that are truly significant that make a real difference. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves come in and uh, Break in and uh, steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. For where, uh, and so, when we set our hearts on Christ, we begin to do the type of things that will last for all eternity. We begin to store up treasures in heaven. This, I I ultimately believe, is at the heart of what it means to uh, live a masterpiece type life that we are uh, joined with Christ to do his work. Because spiritually, uh, because in, in some way when Jesus was raised from the dead, we were raised with him. And so spiritually speaking, we have been raised from the dead. We have been given new life. We have been given the authority to do the works of God. And now we live in the riches of God's kindness and favor. But all of these things are gifts from God, nothing that we can do on our own, right? And so we don't throw up our hands in frustration, but rather we hold out our hands to receive what God has for us. Verses 8 and 9 go on to emphasize this this is an act of grace from God. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one may boast. Verses 8 and 9 were verses that I learned a long time ago, just as a a new believer, because they are so helpful in being able to share your faith with someone. You want to uh, know how to share salvation with someone who doesn't know Christ? Tuck these verses in the back of your mind, because they are helpful. It says that we are not saved by works, but by faith in Jesus, that this is an act of His grace that we receive as a gift. A lot of people view salvation kind of as like on a balancing scale, hoping that if their good works outweigh their bad deeds, that it'll be just enough to get into heaven. But this verse makes very clear that that is impossible for us. We cannot be saved by our good works. Because in, in reality, when we stand before God in heaven one day, it'll not be our good works in, in, uh, being weighed against our bad works. It'll actually be our whole lives being weighed against the holiness and righteousness of God. And the Bible is very clear in saying, for, uh, for we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so if it is a balancing scale, we are going to be found severely wanting. Because all of us do not measure up to the holiness of God. But the reality is, and here we come back to this phrase again, that we have been united with Christ Jesus. So on this scale, Jesus is on the side with us. And when God looks upon our lives, He sees not our own righteousness, but Christ's righteousness given to us, laid upon us, and so that His righteousness actually does measure up to the righteousness and holiness of God the Father. And we are, and we are uh, able to receive this free gift of salvation through faith in his, in his name. Now that doesn't mean just because we are not saved by our good works, that does not mean that our lives are devoid of good works. Verse 10 says we are God's workmanship or I like to I like the translation we are God's masterpieces created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do so we are not saved by our good works but when we have faith in Christ our lives will pour forth good works John MacArthur said it this way no good works can produce salvation salvation But many good works are produced by salvation. And Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So again, we are united by faith with Christ. And when he comes into our lives, then our lives can make a real significant difference. And I look around this congregation and I see masterpieces. I see people that God has created uniquely and specially to do His work. I see people that are good at working with little kids, others that are good at working with the youth, others that are are good at meeting the needs of the seniors, and and others that can really just come alongside of someone who may be dying. and, And you've been gifted to minister mercy in those situations. Some of you can sit down with a stranger and make them feel like they've known you 20 years. You know, all of us have been created uniquely and differently, and God uses all of us. Some of us are creative. Some of us are just good at leaders or administrators. Some of us are really resourceful and good with numbers, and some of us don't get that at all, but we need one another because all of us have been gifted uniquely. Some of you can sing, and some of us, like myself, can't sing a lick, but we'll shout it out anyway. You see, all of us are different, but God has made all of us special, and you are a masterpiece of God. I hope that truth can sink into your heart and your mind, that you are a masterpiece that God will use to change people's lives for all eternity if we receive what he has for us with open arms to receive his gift. Well, I hope that sinks in. I just want to, um, I forgot I have a, something I need to grab down here real quick. Um, because this is, someone shared, t- told me this uh, a couple weeks ago, and I thought this fits this sermon uh, really, really well. You know, because I'll be honest, I don't always think of myself as a masterpiece because I see all the imperfections and stuff in my own life, and I think, you know what? Yeah, I know God's called me, and I, but I know there's a lot of messed up stuff still. And maybe you want to think of yourself as a masterpiece, but you keep pointing to all these sins and things that you got to work on. Someone said to me, our life is kind of like a quilt. Some of you, you come, we come back to this creative work of art. Quilting is actually a, is, is actually a great creative work of art. Some of you uh, do quilts. And I asked, uh, Andrew Todd works in our office, and I said, doesn't your mom quilt? And, she, and he said, yeah. And I said, Ask her if she's got un, any unfinished quilts, because so I've got to show you something here. But this is a quilt that she is working on. She's not quite done with it. And uh, I love this quilt. I, this is going be, to be a great thing. It's, it's, very, it's very, like, got a lot of detail. And I don't know if you can see this from where you're seated, but every little thing on here is a different piece of fabric, you know, you got all these little chickens. They're cut out, little pieces of fabric, and sewn on here. The little, uh, the little red rooster part is an individual piece of fabric. There's even little corn seeds here that are th- that are pieces of thread that are every. And it's and it's a wonderful thing. It takes a lot of creativity, surely, to make this. You don't follow a pattern. I mean, she's. She's coming up with this and making it. All these little leaves are bows. And I think, wow, that is, that's kind of a masterpiece in and of itself. I mean, this is a really a creative work of art. And it's all being put together and come together. But at the same time, if you flip it over, it's not such a pretty picture. This is why I needed an unfinished one, because eventually she'll cover this up. This is not what you want to see. Here you see all the loose threads and the tangled edges and the cut sides. I mean, no one's ever meant to see this when it's a finished product. But sometimes I think this is what we see in our own lives. We see the cut edges and we see the loose threads and we see all the stuff we messed up, but God is looking at it from a different perspective. He's looking at it from heaven. And he looks at our lives and he sees us united with Christ and he sees, and he sees this side. And he's working in our lives in such a way that he is doing a good work that we might not be able to recognize. But as long as we open up our arms and to receive the grace of God anew and afresh every day, ask him to help us to see what he's doing in our lives and to be open to be used by him, then we have the opportunity to live a real, meaningful, and significant life. A life that will not only make a difference while we are here on this earth, but will make a difference for all eternity. And we never know when that opportunity might come. It might come spontaneously while we're sitting with a brother or a sister over coffee. It might come while you have an opportunity to minister at this church or at work or with your family. But we are open to God's work. And if we are, then that is our opportunity to do the work of Christ in this world. So let's, let's close our time together in prayer. Father God, as we've considered this uh, passage, it is one thing to hear it with our minds. It's another thing to let it sink into our hearts. And the idea that we are God's masterpieces, that we are your masterpieces, a truth that I pray that will take deep root within the lives of our hearts and in the life of us as a church, that we would be open to your work, even if it seems impossible for us that we would be open to being able to be used by you to carry out your work in this world. And so God, thank you for the truth of your word. And I pray that it would make a difference in each one of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.